7.01 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 2 of the program. That music, of course, means that we're kicking off Hour 2 with ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. He'll join us in just a moment here. Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintec.net. The NHL regular season gets underway today for us. Not just tonight, today. 2.30. What a unique start time. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they're doing this. No, no more overlapping games. We want everyone to enjoy every single game, almost its entirety. So we start at 2.30 Pacific with the um, Preds and Lightning at 2.30, followed by the Blackhawks and Penguins at 5, and then the Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights at 7.30. Uh, for more on the NHL campaign as it gets closer and closer to the start of puck drop, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 6.50. Morning, Greg. How are you? Well, aren't you going to thank ESPN for these staggered start times? That's why they're doing it. I know. We wanted a triple header. We got a triple header. We give you, the people, uh, some lunchtime hockey on opening day. By the way, my show, The Drop, with Ardo Cal, uh, is going to be on at 2 p.m. your time uh, before the first game. You can find it streaming on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And I got a really cool thing I did where I sat down with Connor McDavid and had him break down that one-on-four goal he scored against the Rangers a couple of years ago to like put me in the mind of Connor McDavid in what he sees and experiences when he's doing his Connor McDavid things. It's like it's one of my favorite things I've done in a while at ESPN. I hope, I hope people get get a chance to check it out. Yeah, well, I actually noticed that. Yeah, the the drop is back yet again. So you guys are um, the Connor McDavid thing. Obviously, we'll be tuning in for that. Uh, this is a, a weird transition, but I think probably a relevant one because I imagine that at some point this season, you and Arda and the rest of the crew are going to be tackling what the NHL is attempting to tackle here with regards to special initiative nights, specifically Pride Night and Pride <laughs> Tape and what have you. Well, the only reason I bring this up, Wish, is because we literally just had NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly on our show. He was our 6:30 guest and we asked him a variety of questions about the Pride Night and Pride Tape, the policy that went out, the memo that went out and he said, "Quote, we had some issues last year with players feeling uncomfortable in supporting certain causes and we didn't want our players to be put in that situation going forward." That's the NHL's stance on this moving forward. Uh based on the last 48 hours and what we've heard about Pride Tape being phased out and these specialty special initiative nights uh, uh, undergoing some amendments, I'll put it that way. What are you hearing about the response from the league, the players, executives, and what have you? Well, I mean, that's I'm hearing what you're hearing. And, and so, did he confirm that the, about the pride tape thing that Out Sports reported yesterday? Yeah, he didn't. Re- he didn't push back on he it. He didn't push back on it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk let's talk about two things about this. First of all, there's a monetary issue involved in all of these decisions. I mentioned, I talked about this during the Provorov thing last year. The jerseys that these guys wore on specialty nights were then auctioned off afterwards to uh, raise, in some cases, thousands of dollars for a single jersey for local charities. And the NHL has said, well, you can still make those jerseys and auction them, 
which is nonsensical because the reason they had value is because guys like Sidney Crosby or Conor McDavid would wear them. So that's taking money away from charity. Pride Tape, uh, through it, the sale of Pride Tape, was also a charitable initiative. They raised money, not only from NHL players and teams buying Pride Tape, but also others buying it when they saw NHL players and teams using it. So that's money being taken away from charities. So, so let's not lose sight of the fact that there is a monetary impact for these, these uh, decisions. Second thing I'll say is, I, I really don't, the, the policy is a mess. It is an absolute mess, and it didn't need to be, okay? Because if your concern is for a few guys that have uh, personal beliefs and religious objection to being forced into, uh, you know, theme nights by their teams, okay, so, so if you want to pass the policy that says the team can't put them in that situation, do it. That's fine. It's your league. You can make whatever policy you want. But why should the personal beliefs and individuality of that subsection of NHL players supersede the personal beliefs and individuality of a larger majority of NHL players that have chosen to participate in these things throughout their careers. A guy like Travis Dermett, for example, who told my colleague Kristen Shilton a couple of years ago that he used pride tape in warmups and in games to honor gay members of his family. So why can't he do that? And, 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 and just not have it be a team-sanctioned thing, uh, why do you have to make other people feel uncomfortable to give comfort to these people? It's, it's conformity over compassion, and it complicates the argument that hockey is for everyone in ways that makes it difficult to sell that as a slogan. Well, that's what I was going to say. Can the NHL still come out and say we are an advocate for the LGBTQ community? Well, they can because, again, I want to underscore this. Like, the, the league does do things for that community. The pr- Pride Nights are still going to happen. They raise money for these organizations. The problem is is that when you are it's, – it's not, it's not enough to just be, like, a fundraiser. And it's not enough to, 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 uh, to traffic in what's called rainbow capitalism and sell a bunch of, you know, rainbow-colored penguin socks to people uh, every, every year uh, during a certain month. Like, that's not enough. What you have to do is, is, is stand up for the communities that you're trying to represent or, more importantly, trying to sell your sport to. And so when you stand up and talk about bullying, when you stand up and talk about in- inclusivity, when you stand up and talk about, you know, trying to make this sport welcoming for all audiences, and then you sort of, like, take a step back and tacitly endorse the uh, opposition to the existence of those communities, like it's a really hard sell. What is the alternative for the NHL? What would you, what, what? again? It, the, it's the easiest thing. The easiest thing is that if you have people that don't feel comfortable participating in it, just don't participate in it. And you could do one of two things: you can either keep it the way it was, where you have all of these theme nights, and again, we're, the focus is on Pride Night. The NHL's blanket you know, restriction on these jerseys means no hockey fights, cancer jerseys, Mm -hmm. no autism awareness jerseys, no black history month jerseys. Like it's such a nonsensical decision to do this that impacts so many other uh, causes uh, that are, that are caught in the crossfire because some people have a problem with pride night. You either allow teams to hold them and then you have the people that object to it, just deal with the ramifications of their beliefs or you do what they're doing now, which is to have a policy where they don't have Pride Night in particular, again, don't bring all these other causes into it if it's an issue with Pride Night. Don't have Pride Night, but allow people that want to express themselves and express support for that community to allow them to do so. 
again, I, I don't understand this idea that you are supporting people that don't want to support a cause and then you are muting or, or restricting the beliefs of people that do. That That's just not the way it should work with this league. Well, you mentioned the policy and how confusing it is, or I suppose it was. Uh, your colleague at ESPN, Ryan Clark, sources of his said that the memo that came out required an amendment shortly thereafter because there was such confusion. What did you hear about the reaction from NHL clubs and players and everyone when this initial policy was unveiled a few days ago? Well, nobody was really talking about it because it happened in the summer, right? So, I mean, like, it, it came down. What I, what I heard was from the organizations. I talked to a lot of the, the charities that were benefiting from the sales of these jerseys and that were getting visibility from the, the, the players wearing these jerseys. And in some cases, uh, you had a, a particular charity that I spoke to in San Jose that supports LGBTQ uh, youth like that are, that are in uh, crisis situations was talking about how damaging it is, not only to their bottom line, but also to have, you know, the support of an NHL team behind this cause. Uh, and the other thing, too, is you have to remember about these jerseys. A lot of them were created by local artists um, who not only financially benefited, benefited from their work being used, but oftentimes were from the communities that they were creating the jerseys to, to, to honor, be it, you know, uh, Black History Month or, or you know, Pride Night jerseys. So there's a huge ripple effect. There's a huge, you know, trickle-down effect by this decision. And it, it just didn't need to happen. And, and it's impacted a lot of people and, of, of course, confused enough people where the NHL has already had to clarify some things. Uh, Wish, were you surprised by the Winnipeg announcement yesterday that Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck had signed pretty big extensions and pretty long extensions? Not on Hellebuck, uh, and and again, like how impressive that I published my 32 bold yeah. predictions for the season, and now I am just 31 away from being absolutely correct across the board because I said Hellebuck would resign. I I had heard that he um, enjoyed being in that market. Uh, it kind of fit his personality a bit, and also the way that the goalie market looks like on the open market for him to find that money on, mm-hmm. and that term. Uh, may have been a little bit more difficult than people think, even with the cap rising. So I think that Kim staying there logically made sense. Shifley was a little bit more surprising, if only because as a center and as a center that produces the kind of offense that he can, he could have maybe made a little bit more on the open market. But but again, you know, as I've always said, you guys know this, when players resign, their stuff is there. They're happy. They like the market. They, they feel comfortable, and that's where they wanted to stay. Yeah, I was I wasn't surprised by the Hellebuck um, extension either. Um, I'm a little surprised, though, and we were talking about this earlier in the show that both Winnipeg and Calgary haven't made. I guess Winnipeg made some pretty significant changes in Dubois and and Wheeler, but are you surprised that? Calgary hasn't made more significant changes? Well, they have, but, but it's not by their doing. <laughs> like, they, they've, had, they've had mass exoduses, uh, be it Kachuk and Goudreau, uh, be it Tyler Toffoli this past year where you know, it was obvious he wasn't going to stick around, uh, so they made the aggressive move to trade him to, to Jersey. So <clears throat> there have been changes, uh, but, but not of, of their making. And, and it's one of the reasons why I think that I have the Flames 
finishing behind Vancouver and Seattle hmm. because there's just so many goals that have walked out the door in the last couple of years and they still haven't replaced them. I mean, even if Huberto plays like Huberto again, now that he's uh, out from under the iron fist of Daryl Sutter, that's still not going to make up the amount of offense that has left the building in the last two seasons. There's still a supporting cast in search of star players. And unless the goaltending there has a dramatic turnaround year over year, uh, I, I don't think they're a playoff team. And in fact, I think they're going to finish maybe sixth in that division. Do you have the Canucks as a playoff team? Yeah. You do. Interesting. What was, <laughs> yeah. what was, what was your... What was the main reason that you had the Canucks finally getting back into the playoffs this season? I think we might have lost. Wish yeah, we'll there. get we'll get unbelievable <laughs> no timing, really. Yeah, unbelievable. Why? Why do you like the Canucks this year? Hello, <laughs> uh, hello. Uh, that was Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. We'll work to get him back on the line here. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, so yeah, I did in the list of questions that we have for Wish. I, I did some research because they have their big preseason roundtable up at ESPN right now, and mm-hmm. one. So the other one, spoiler alert. I'll ask Wish about this though. Is that he's picked the Edmonton Oilers to win the Stanley Cup? Now, one of the things that Wish does annually is after uh, picking his Stanley Cup winner, and thereby jinxing that particular team as he calls the general manager of that team and tells them. He's like, oh, I see. I'm put sorry. the Wyshynski hex on you. Okay. Uh, is it, we got him back now. Greg Wyshynski back here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, Greg, so while you were gone there, uh, I reset what was happening with your Stanley Cup pick, but you were in the middle of explaining why you had the Vancouver Canucks as a playoff team this year. So please pick up where you left off. Yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately, uh, it was a healthy Carson Southie. So I, I'm already right. very oh, upset oh, about... Yikes. Uh, no, I mean, the, the improved blue line was one reason. Uh, Rick Tockett getting a full training camp with his team to kind of put his stamp on it was another reason. Uh, Elias Pedersen was, was a primary reason. I, I think that if the Vancouver... Here's another prediction. If the Vancouver Canucks make the playoffs and he has the season I think he could have, I wouldn't be shocked to see him get the Ryan O'Reilly... Selkie as MVP vote um, because he's a great two-way player. Mm. He may not have the juice to win the heart, mm. but he could have that Selkie as MVP award if the Canucks make the playoffs. I, I don't know, man. Like Seattle's going to regress from a shooting percentage standpoint. Calgary I already told you I'm not enamored with them. Uh, it's it's there for the taking and for the Canucks if they can play some consistent hockey. Um, okay, so I also mentioned that you did your annual Stanley Cup pick and the annual thing where you call the general manager of said team picked <laughs> and then ruin his season. So what was the conversation like with Edmonton's Ken Holland when you told him that you had picked the Oilers to win the Stanley Cup? Well, I, 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 it's the second year I've had to do it. I, I called him last year. This year, I, I just I just dropped him a quick text, and I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm picking you guys to win the Cup again. And uh, his response was simply... Oh boy! <laughs> the only thing he said. Uh, but yeah, I, I always let these guys know if I'm going to jinx their team. But again, I, I think I was just a year early with Edmonton. Um, I've, I've long said that two generational talents on the same team—they're going to figure it out at some point. Messier and Gretzky did, Yager and Mario did, Sid and Malkin did, and I think Connor and Leon will. But what really has me on them this year is in talking to them in Vegas and, and just hearing some stuff around how they've been reacting to last season's uh, disappointment behind the scenes. 
I just think they're at that Nathan McKinnon breaking point of they're not going to lose anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they're just tired of it. Like they like they've reached a moment in which losing is no longer an option. Losing is is disgusting, and uh, and and by any means necessary, they're going to try to drag this team to a cup this year. Well, since you picked the Oilers, um, I'm going to curse your team because I'm picking the New Jersey Devils. I think they're going to win the cup this year. I'm still not 100% sure about their goaltending, but I don't know if I'm sure about any team's goaltending anymore. It just seems so random. Um, what do you think about my pick that the Devils are going to win the cup? Well, I was going to say, it's a combination of a couple of things as you're concerned about them. One is the, the entire back end, because remember, it's not just the goaltending, but it's also... No Damon Severson and, uh, and no Ryan Graves. They're going to have to adjust to losing a couple of veteran guys back there. Luke Hughes uh, is great offensively. Mm-hmm. He's still a young player that has to figure out the defensive part of the game a little bit. Um, and then the other thing is um, we are waiting for that proof of concept that the way that they play in the regular season can be replicated in the playoffs for four rounds. And, and there are teams that have had to kind of figure that out, the light if you remember the Lightning for a lot of years, yeah. there were questions about whether or not they could they could win in the playoffs, and, and eventually they found the way to play to uh, modulate their game a little bit to win in the playoffs. The Devils might still have to do that a little bit, but it, I'm I mean ultimately I'm with you. Like it wouldn't shock me at all to see them come out of the East. It wouldn't shock me at all to see them win the Cup. I just feel like maybe they're still a year away. We're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Greg, do you find it odd that more people aren't picking the Vegas Golden Knights to, you know, win the Stanley Cup again? Because it seems everywhere I look, it's another team, not Vegas, that is getting picked by pundits. Yeah, no, you know, a little bit, I guess. Uh, Cup hangover, always an issue. They had some really good injury luck in the playoffs last year for a team that doesn't often have good injury luck. Uh, you know, you take Mark Stone off that roster for any significant time in the playoffs, they probably don't win the cup, and, and he's somebody who's had trouble staying in the lineup. And then plus, you know, the goaltending is what it is. I mean, they won the cup with Aiden Hill, uh, but they won the cup with Aiden Hill having two good months, and, and now he's going to have to have a good regular season, and, and he's never been anybody who's, you know, carried the, the, the freight for a full season. And, and maybe there are some questions about him and Logan Thompson, uh, on the back end, look, they're going to be great. And, and whoever comes out of the Pacific is going to have to go through Vegas. Um, but, you know, there's always that hesitancy of picking a team to repeat, which is kind of weird when you think about the fact that we've had the Penguins and Lightning do it within the last decade. Uh, but in Vegas' case, I, 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 you're right. I mean, it seems like everybody else is on other teams. Who do you think is going to be a big disappointment this season? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm going to throw one out there for you, the Islanders. Well, the, but the Islanders are mid. Like, they can't, you can't be a disappointment if you're just mid. Then why right? is everyone but locked like, up long-term there? <laughs> because they're, they're horribly managed. But that's besides the point. I would, say, I would say the Buffalo Sabres only because there's this sort of, like, rallying behind them as the team that emerges from yeah. the pack in the Atlantic. Mm. Um, I, I think... I think top to bottom, Ottawa is better Me too. than yeah. Buffalo. And, and they're the team that I have emerging from that pack. Um, and so I, I would say if you had to find one, it would be, it'd be the Sabres. Uh, unless, unless you wanted it to be the Kraken, who I, I think are going to take a little bit of a step back this year. But, but there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of respect put on them last year. Um, 
And so maybe them taking a step back wouldn't be a huge surprise to, to a lot of people. Here's one for you. What rookie not named Connor Bedard are you most excited to see, or do you think will have the biggest impact on this season? So my hot take is that Bedard's not going to win the Calder. Okay. Uh, my, my, hot, my hot take is that Logan Cooley is going to win it. I, oh. I, I think we're going to get the uh, goals, points, split between rookies. I think Lo- Logan Cooley wins the points race. Bedard wins the uh, goals race in a walk. And the uh, Logan Cooley gets extra bonus votes for being on the Coyotes. <laughs> and so, and so I, I think I think I think he wins the Calder, and uh, in, 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 in that sort of like Ovechkin, Crosby esque split. Uh, so he would be the rookie I'm most excited to see by by virtue of that. Jason just asked you about who might be the biggest disappointment this year. I suppose this question ties into that. Uh, the first coach to be fired this season will be who? So, I okay. There's two guys from a from a functional standpoint. Lane Lambert, uh, sure. If only because the Islanders are mid. Lamarillo didn't really give him that much of a vote of confidence in the off season, and uh, Lou. Uh, has the reputation of, of firing a coach or two in his time. Right. So that's one. Yep. And then the other one uh, is uh, 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 DJ Smith of the Ottawa Senators. That's more of, a, more of a narrative standpoint in the sense of like, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. Roster, new owner, maybe some pressure a little bit to make a, 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 a hasty move if the team struggles a little bit. And then you bring in some guy that, that supercharges the roster. So narratively, DJ Smith, functionally, Lane Lambert. I'm going with Craig Ruby in St. Louis. There's something off about that whole organization right now. I have Rick Bonus in Winnipeg. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Really? I'll take the mic here for a second. The craziest thing to me is that a guy that absolutely skewered his team in the post-playoff loss media availability, came back the next day. He's like, and I'm still the coach. And then... Well, maybe maybe, maybe his general manager agreed with everything he said. But then wouldn't you change more of your team than just Blake Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois? Wasn't, like that we- to- wasn't Wheeler the main problem there I, in terms of culture? You'd have to think so because they didn't make a lot of changes from the team. The bonus was like, I can't stand this group. Let's go back and coach them <laughs> next year minus two guys. That's my takeaway from the Winnipeg situation. Well... Well, bo- bonus is not there to make personnel decisions. Bonus is there to try to make the personnel there work. And so, like, if he has a problem with the personnel, it's on him to play drill sergeant and, and figure out a way around it. Wheeler was, you know, someone they wanted to move on from. Dubois was someone who didn't want to stay. Right? So it's like, it's not as if he, he could be counted as a wholesale change. Um, bonus is an interesting one. Barube. Look, the Blues are not going to be good. I could see that maybe he pays for the lack of, of talent on the roster and, and what is a very in-name-only blue line at this point in front of a goalie that, you know, the only intrigue for him this season is whether or not he's going to have a fighting major. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I could see Berube paying the price for that team. I, I guess I'd be a little surprised if it was in-season, if only because... You know, you keep them around on a losing team, and maybe they're still a losing team, and, and maybe that ultimately just helps you in the draft. Yeah. And then and then you give him the uh, the, the the happy break in the off season because like 
they do owe that guy a lot. I mean, they want a cup for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if he's the, you know, ignominious uh, dismissal in-season guy for them. Greg, this was awesome, man. Thanks a lot for doing this, as always. Good luck with the first episode of The Drop this season. By the way, you can watch it on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, enjoy the opening night, Greg. We'll do this again next week. Will do. Thanks. Thank you. That's Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So coming up next, we'll have a brief chat with Ken Weeb from uh, Winnipeg about the decisions that the Jets made and where it leaves them uh, going forward. Uh, then we can dip into the Dunbar-Limber text line. Uh, in the second half of next segment. So any questions or comments you have, text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us at 8 o'clock for more Canucks talk. So it's a very, very hockey-heavy show today, and no surprise, because the NHL season gets underway today, and the Canucks season gets underway tomorrow. Yeah, and speaking of that game, you can win a pair of tickets courtesy of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Text in a what we learned, and add a ticket emoji to your text to be entered into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and It's Oilers. not a draw. It's a contest. Right. It's I a should, contest. I should, we are... Uh, we're not just picking the, the what we learns out of a hat. Yeah, we are judging them on merit, content, spelling, and grammar. <laughs> and grammar, yeah, those yeah. count. Uh, Dunbar number text line six fifty six fifty hashtag it wwl and enter a ticket emoji so we can choose you as the winner for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Oilers. A lot more to get. Go, uh, don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff Sportsnet six fifty. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. God, I love this song. Hour two of the program brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Live from Winnipeg. From the Winnipeg Free Press. Jets writer Ken Weeb here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Ken. How are you? I'm doing tremendous, guys. Thanks for having me. And a great musical interlude. Yes, very uh, very solid. Sounds like almost opening night or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's perfect, really. Uh, were you surprised by the Jets announcement yesterday? I would say I was surprised that they got both deals done before the season. Uh, both players kind of, I wouldn't say played coy, but they certainly were not uh, forthcoming when, it's, uh, when it came to the I Love Winnipeg on the first day of training camp. Uh, I thought there was a chance Mark Shifley would... <laughs> Uh, get a deal done, but uh, Connor Hellebuck kept his cards pretty close to the vest, and uh, I would have thought it was more likely that his situation wouldn't play out until closer to the deadline, but uh, I would imagine we'll find out in the next couple hours when all parties speak that uh, 
negotiations picked up considerably because, I mean, quite frankly, Mark spoke the day after Stephen Stamkos, and although he delivered in a different term, uh, a tone, I mean, uh, he made it clear that there hadn't been very substantive substantive uh, talks to that point. So things must have heated up in the last little while. So uh, certainly surprised that they signed identical deals. And uh, these are two players who are homegrown talents at two premier positions. And uh, I would say the Jets, I mean, yeah, there's going to be some risk on the end, any deal that goes from 30 mm-hmm. stages, 36, 37, and 38. Uh, but with the cap going up, I would say it would, would have been harder to replace them than to potentially overpay them if that's a term that uh, some folks in the fan base might be using right now. Yeah, so I guess taking a step back, the the relevant question might be can the Jets be cup contenders while the deals are still good before they turn sour? Sure. I mean, I would say that that's what the Jets have to be banking on. Otherwise, you don't make the moves. I mean, obviously the Jets have said that they wanted to be contending and that they were uh, you know, pushing towards that, but this is definitely an all-in move by the general manager and ownership group, and now it's up to them to show that they can do it. I mean, last year, uh, folks forget this was a team that was in first place, not only in Central Division, but in the Western Conference in the middle of January, uh, and then things went very sour um, for reasons still somewhat unknown. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, they got away from the style Rick Bonus had been preaching and implementing in that first half while they had success, and sort of reverted back to some run-and-gun ways, if you will. And, you know, in year two under Rick Bonus, they're hoping that they can sort of, uh, you know, pre- have a precursor to any of those long, uh, dis- you know, disappointing spells. And uh, obviously, too, I mean, you guys know in the market that you work in. I mean, finding it, finding a number one goalie is hard. Mm-hmm. Replacing him is even harder. Uh, and the same applies to a number one center. And the Jets don't have any... Uh, homegrown natural, you know, natural placeholders or fillers when those, if they would have had to move on from them or kept them through the deadline. So uh, that probably helped on the term side for both players and maybe even on the financial side. But what I would say too, I mean, Hellebuck at one point was probably looking for something in the 10 million range or nine and a half to 10. So I think the eight and a half number will age a little bit more gracefully than some of the other deals, but uh, naturally, too. I mean, the Jets just bought out the last year Blake Wheeler's contract with, coming out of his 36 or 37 year old year. So uh, it has to be on the radar. But I mean, this team is has a lot of the tools to be successful, and I think they're deeper up front. So uh, are they a Stanley Cup contender today? I, I'm not sure. I would put them in that same class with you know teams like Colorado and Dallas and some of the other teams out east. But uh, I would say that they're definitely a playoff team. And when you're a playoff team, then you have to make the other necessary upgrades to take that next step. How many factors went into to the decision to buy out Blake Wheeler? Yeah, I mean, age probably a factor. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about culture in the last you know few years with Blake. I mean, I would also uh, present the counter-argument that uh, there were no none of those arguments when the Jets were second in the President's Trophy race and went to the conference final in mm-hmm. 2017-18. Uh, teams evolve, leadership styles evolve, and Blake is just more of an all, you know, he's all business 24-7 kind of a person. And as the roster kind of turned over, uh, I think some of the, uh, you know, the, the younger players maybe didn't respond to that leadership style as well. So, uh, you know, he's still a productive player. At 36 years old, he had 55 points. I mean, that's that's not an easy thing to do at the NHL level. Uh, but I think it was time for a change. I mean, yes, they stripped him the captaincy, but... It's hard to, you know, diminish all power of someone who's been a captain for five or six seasons. So, I mean, I would say that 
it was just time for both sides to move on. Uh, and now they're under new guidance and direction with, you know, Adam Lowry as the new captain and, and Josh Morrissey and Mark Shifley supporting him in those alternate rules. So Mark Shifley is going to probably remain the first-line center. What about the second-line center? Because Dubois is not there anymore. It feels like second-line center has been something the Jets have been chasing for years and years. Yeah, I mean, I would say Pierre, Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of handled that role pretty admirably. I mean, he was a point of game player and, you know, through 50 games last year. Uh, certainly gave them a little bit more dynamic one-two punch, something they hadn't really had since Mark Scheif, or since uh, Paul Stastny left. Uh, Cole Ferpetti's done a nice job. I mean, he was drafted as a center. He's played, you know, his first two years or scattered time over the first two years on the wing almost primarily. But uh, this is a guy who's got, a, you know, incredible hockey intelligence, a very good passer, a great vision. Uh, you know, can his body hold up? I mean, he's been knocked out of the last two seasons. I mean, that's the biggest thing for Cole in terms of, you know, through the NHL season, but in terms of his uh, ability and offensive talent and pedigree, you know, his 10th overall pick. So uh, who's played the position admirably at every level up to this point. So sure, there could be some growing pains for him, but I would expect he'll handle the role well. And uh, if things get bumpy, then they have some insulation with a guy like Gabriel Velarde or Vladislav Nemestikov, who might be able to slide in there. And we also know what the Jets, Adam Lowry plays, you know, he's on the checking line, but that, that line is often second off the bench. So if Perfetti's going up against third line competition, when the coach has last change, I would expect uh, him to have a quite a strong season. I mean, he was neck and neck with, uh, um, with the Seattle centerman uh, going right down to the stretch uh, in terms of the rookie Calder race there with Matty Beneers. So I think there's some talent there, but now it's up to him to stay uh, and prove he can be durable. We're speaking to Ken Weeb from the Winnipeg Free Press here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Ken, I want to circle back to Rick Bonus for a second here because my my lasting memory from their playoff ouster to Vegas was a very irate Rick Bonus saying, I am, quote, so disappointed and disgusted right now. Then going on to add that there was no pushback. And again, quote, it's the same crap we saw in February. Now, to me, that those were the words of a highly frustrated guy that was either going to not be back to coach the team, or if he was going to be back, the team would look a lot different. But the only two major changes here, really, and granted, they are major changes, but Wheeler and Dubois out. Is it fair to suggest that those guys were major players in bonuses frustration? Or did maybe they not change enough of this core group enough to make bonus happy yeah i mean it's all fair questions and i don't know that we can get rick uh, with the truth serum uh, to spit all that out but i mean they did turn over one third of their top six forward groups so i mean i would say that's pretty significant but i mean you're right i mean we thought there could be as many as all four of those players being out the door and two of them just signed seven-year extensions so uh, rick was definitely frustrated uh, the frustration goes from being a top team, as I mentioned, in the Central Division in the Western Conference through over half the year and then almost having the most epic collapse in the history of the NHL. So uh, I think Rick's point on the first day of camp, too, is that, you know, he he has seen now he knows the players. He's seen the science. He knows maybe he should have inter there should have been a little bit more of an intervention a bit earlier. Uh, I think what he was meaning, he gave the Jets a little bit too much rope in terms of uh, them going on their own program. So in terms of personnel, um, yeah, I mean, would I have expected a little bit more change? I, I, yes, to a degree, but uh, at the same time, I think Rick did a lot in that first year to help on the, you know, shot high high quality chance prevention side of things. And uh, with a elite level goaltender, you can mask some of the def- defensive deficiencies, and that'll be an area that they try to improve on this year. So, uh, personnel wise, I think maybe they might be looking 
for a little bit of help on defense before the year's over, but their forward group is, you know, deeper with that trade for Dubois uh, that brought Ajax Alfalo and Gabriel Velarde and Rasmus Kapari. So I think they're more of a four-line team, but uh, I would say that, you know, unfortunate injury to Billy Hainel at the end of training camp uh, with a fractured ankle. He had looked that he had was going to be giving a little bit of that injection on the back end that they were probably looking for. So uh, personnel-wise, they have Declan Chisholm coming up. He was American League All-Star last year. Uh, but right now he's looking like the number seven defenseman. So uh, a lot of people would say, hey, same defense. Why should it be better? Well, Rick Bonus is hoping that another year under his tutelage uh, will help them take that necessary step and you know, kind of push them out of the mushy middle, if you will. Uh, busy times for the Winnipeg Jets right now. they got media availability today with Shifley and Hellebuck and Sheveldayoff and Rick Bonus, And then, of course, tomorrow they open their season in an all-Canadian matchup against the Calgary Flames. Hey, Ken, thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the start of the season. I'm sure we'll be doing this again as the season rolls on. Yeah, always enjoy it, guys. Have a great year and uh, enjoy the season as well. Thanks for having me. Have a great day here. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, too. Ken. Thanks, Ken. That's Ken Weeb uh, from the Winnipeg Free Press here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Weird team. Very weird team. Mm. Because the Jets have made the playoffs in five of the last six seasons. Right? They punch their ticket routinely. But they've only won a single one playoff round since 2018. So it's a lot of goaltending only gets you so far. Show up to the playoffs mm-hmm. and then quickly exit the playoffs. And that well, was that really- 2018 year was their best team, and they eventually lost to Vegas in the conference finals. Right. So they're in that weird part where they're good enough to be a playoff team, mm-hmm. but when they get there, there's been no success over the last five years. Here's a question I've got for you. Yes. And you might want to pull up the standings uh, before you answer it. How many locks to make the playoffs are in the West? I would probably have the number at four locks. Locks like like you'd be sh- you'd be shocked. Sure, play you'd, this be sh- game. you'd be shocked if 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 they miss. So Vegas and Edmonton, Colorado, Dallas. Yeah, and Dallas for me is like Dallas is ninety percent a lock. They're a lock. They're gonna be even better this year. No, okay. Here's 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 so an, here, okay. So four. Yeah. So here's another question: How many are locks to miss? Also four: San Jose, Anaheim. Arizona and Chicago, right? And then it's everyone else. The mushy middle consists of competing. I'd almost put the LA Kings as a lock too, by the way. Mm. It's easier if we go four and four. So four locks to make it. I do like four locks to miss. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves what? Eight teams battling for Los Angeles, the remaining Los Angeles, Seattle, Calgary, Vancouver. That's four. Mm-hmm. And then it would be Minnesota, Winnipeg, Nashville, St. Louis. That's yeah. eight. Right. Eight teams for four spots. We just right. solved the playoff problem. Well, we didn't. We so let's, but, but let's pare it down a little bit more if we can. Sure. Probably not going to be surprised if St. Louis misses and probably not going to be surprised if Nashville misses, right? Nashville's going through a rebuild. I know, but they got UC Saros. I would say Nashville is a more likely playoff uh, contestant. St. Louis was pretty St. bad. Louis. St. St. Louis, Louis was pretty bad. I, I think St. Louis is in a bad way. St. Louis is like a their goal differential last year was minus thirty eight. Like that's worse than the Canucks. The Canucks were minus twenty two. Of that mushy middle eight, man, I'm just coining phrases left and right here. Of mm-hmm. the mushy eight, I'm going to put St. Louis closer to the bottom of that. Yeah, I think so too. I would put. Um, now here's an interesting one of Calgary and Winnipeg. I actually think Calgary is going to be on the lower end. I don't think Calgary is going to be very good this year. I have a hard time saying that just because you got rid of Daryl Sutter, the careers of Jonathan Huberto Mm -hmm. and Nazem Kadri and Jacob Markstrom are going to take this amazing upswing. 
what's not working in those guys' favor is they're getting old. They ain't they they not old for the earth or the league, but they're getting older. And if you believe yeah, in Huberto's thirty now, Kadri's thirty three. I mean, Backlund, their new captain, he's 34. And the one that we should probably focus on the most is Markey, who's 33. I don't know if Markey's ever going to get it back again. Well, can I also add that they traded Tyler Toffoli, who was clearly the best player last year? Like, n- there was yeah. no debating that well, Tyler Toffoli was their best player. Honestly, Toffoli going to New Jersey is one of the reasons that I think the Devils have a really good chance to win the Cup. He's yeah, the type of player I, that you would add. Totally. I, I know. It's a great ad for them. 100%. Awesome ad. But for Calgary, like, it's not like you're talking about a spare piece for Calgary. You could have made the argument he was our MVP last year. Mm-hmm. And he walked out the door for, what, Igor Jarenkovich? Like, it, it's... Y- your worry about Markstrom is valid, by the way. I, I don't think... Like, he's just how much life does he have left in his career is what I think about. Yeah. But the good thing is they have one of the best goaltending well, prospects do... waiting in the wings, ready to go. Do you think go, he's and... ready to roll this year? I think, I the think curveball, the wild If Marky wasn't there, he yeah. would be starting... He would be like a Dustin Levi situation. He would be right in there. Devin. Dustin Wolf. Or sorry, Dustin Wolf, Devin Levi. Um, that is, to Mixed me, that's the biggest curveball that Calgary can throw at this yeah. whole thing is if they just roll with Dustin Wolf and he takes off, right? Because you've seen those before where the young goalies come in and go on a crazy heater. We were just talking about St. Louis. You remember when Jordan Biddington broke in out of nowhere? Does right? it seem like people outside the market are more more bullish than on the Canucks than the ones inside the market? Well, yeah, but I think that's got to do with partly residual scarring, you know, and, and, and hyper analysis because of the sense of dread. But like I think the hyper analysis is is apt because we're looking at things that are fairly important, like who's going to pair with Quinn Hughes on the back end. But right? I think I, what happens, I is, think people outside the market go like, Pedersen's really good, Hughes is really good, Demko is really good. They got their coach in there who's going to teach them how to defend. Conclusion made. That's fair, but I don't think that we do that sort of hyper analysis for other teams. For example, the Winnipeg Jets. Billy Hainola fractures his ankle. He's going to miss two, two and a half months. Huge loss for them. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about it. Well, I don't that, think the Jets are going to I don't think they're very good anyway. Right, but that's what I'm saying. That's a team that's going to compete mm-hmm. for a playoff spot, presumably with Vancouver. So, yeah. like, I mean, really rough and loose equivalent here, but the way that everyone kind of freaks out about Carson Soucy being out for week mm-hmm. to week to start the season, not ideal, not great. Winnipeg has a similar situation going on. We just don't have that same sort of sense of dread. Part of the reason that we don't is because obviously we're not going to cover the Winnipeg Jets in as great detail. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is we are very much focused, trained, and rightly concerned about the start of the season for the Vancouver Is it fair to say that of the individual players, Thatcher Demko offers them the most upside compared to last season? Let me explain. No, I get what you didn't can offer you, much last season. Can you ex- can you expect much more from Quinn Hughes? Mm, not, I mean, not much more. Can you expect much more from Petey, Kuzmenko, JT? Like, where is the up? Where is the upside in this roster? Perhaps some of it is on Hronik. And no, perhaps Demko. and Dem- Demko, right? Well, not getting eight ninety goaltending for most of the season would help because it was I a twofold problem last season with Demko. Number one, individually, he didn't play very well, and then he got hurt. Correct. And number two, the team played awful in front of him. So <laughs> you're hope you're hoping real quagmire. Well, you're hoping all those those three things change, right? Like first of all, Demko comes into the season 
in a better frame of mind and plays better. Second of all, that he stays healthy. And third of all, that the team in front of him plays considerably better, allowing him to be a better goal. Well, how about fourth? And this is more of a wild card and less of a sure thing, but that Casey DeSmith comes in and solidifies a backup spot. Yeah. Because remember, I don't know if you guys are, I don't know how much you blocked out, out from last year, but there were times last year where the Canucks backup goaltending was horrendous. Not bad. Not subpar, horrendous, not terrible, below average, terrible. but awful, awful goaltending, right? And imagine, imagine a world where Demko plays fifty-five games and is hovering around a nine-twenty save percentage, mm-hmm. which is what Hellebuck gives the Jets pretty much every year. And then imagine that DeSmith steps in and provides league average backup net minding in the amount of games that he plays. Do you realize, people, that Thatcher Demko won? Like, I know wins are a stupid stat, but he won fourteen games last year. Yeah. 14. That's not many. That's like, it's, it's not even, you're not going to make the playoffs with your star goalie winning 14 games. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he has a, a good, healthy, competent season and that number goes to like 30. You're talking about 15 extra wins and 30 extra points right there. What are some of the other potential upsides? Like people are texting in Besser and Bovillier. I'm like, nah, I don't know, man. Maybe Besser can play a little bit better. I, I don't well, look, look I, at him and go... Brock Besser turning into Adam Oates is my favorite development <laughs> from the... Like he's a table setter now. He's not a sniper anymore. Oh, you know, look... He needs Be- a score, though. But with he Besser... He needs a score. Look, with Besser, honestly, I think you just want, like, a vibe check. Like, good vibes with the guy. Like, he's healthy, and he's not going through these long stretches of futility offensively. Mm-hmm. And he's got his head right, and he can... He can play and return, maybe not necessarily to the best that we saw the first couple of years, but those when those things happen, it does it can galvanize a group. Mm-hmm. When a guy that's popular, good teammate, and good things happen to him, you've seen guys like that before, sure. right? You know, another guy I think that like could end up being that guy in a smaller capacity is Di Giuseppe. Like everyone roots for guys mm-hmm. like that. Because- well, something has to galvanize the group. Yeah, that's been the problem for the Canucks. Yeah, like they need to, and that's why I think having a good start would go a long way because if you can have some belief in the way you play and belief, I know these words get thrown around, but there's reason they get thrown around belief in the system, the belief in the structure. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows what their role is. Something has to galvanize the group. And I think that's why they've been so hard to watch Mm -hmm. the last few years. You're watching them play hockey and you're going, What's your plan here? Like, yeah. what are you guys trying to do here? What do you guys say you do around here? But it's true, right? Mm-hmm. The, and, and how many times have we been like, well, what is what was Boudreaux's system? And people will talk about the forecheck, and, you know, you're kind of like, well, it doesn't really look like it's working for them. Uh, another area of potential upside, absolutely the penalty kill. I don't think sometimes that we truly dive into I do. how crippling – no, I was being facetious because we do it all the time, but I still don't think we do it enough. I'm not even being facetious. We should be talking on a near-daily basis about the fact that you saw one of the worst penalty kills in NHL history last and, year. And, and frankly, with the personnel that they, they'd they been throwing out there over the last two years, it was entirely predictable that the PK was going to be a problem. Right, so good on, them. Entirely predictable. good on them for going to get Bluger and Rafferty and Cole and Susie to try and address this. Lafferty, not Rafferty. Damn, that's going to get me all year. Mm-hmm. Broken Lafferty. Where is that guy now? Brogan Rafferty. Brogan Rafferty. I think he's in Detroit. I don't think he's killing penalties anymore. I think no. he got waived, if I remember. He did get waived. He was waved. in a long list, and yeah. I picked out a bunch of ex-Canucks. Who cares? Let's <laughs> let's not get... But anyway, yeah. the additions... What about Rafferty? The additions there... Like, here's it's the thing. 
you can go from being a historically bad penalty kill to just average, and it'll improve your team infinitely. Mm-hmm. Imagine going from being, and this is, you know, dare to dream, children, but being the worst penalty kill in the modern era to like a top 10. Well, that's the goal. Because yeah, yeah. you said that yesterday. Like, if the Canucks are going to make the playoffs, they probably have to be top 10 in PK. And power play. Yeah, the combined special teams have to be top 10. Lofty goals for sure, but that's probably what they're going to need. Mm-hmm. And when you go out and address the penalty kill as specifically as they did this offseason, you're doing it with the goal of turning this around entirely. Not, yeah. oh, you know, we, we used to be awful on the penalty kill. Now we're just not bad. And, and that was the most promising thing for me of, uh, frankly, not too promising preseason. Mm-hmm. I thought the penalty kill looked adequate out there. And it's going to get tested right off the bat uh, by the Edmonton Oilers, who have a ridiculous P, uh, power play, right? Yeah. So just so you, just in case you've completely blanked out on the season, the season for the Canucks starts tomorrow. They host the Edmonton Oilers. And then on Saturday, as the start of a five-game road trip, they go back to Edmonton. So back-to-back games against the team that many are picking to win the Stanley Cup this year. We'll continue that conversation coming up next with Brendan Batchelor on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.